Karibas is flowering clear. Five to one up the new market hill. Keep going, Buick. Oh God, he's gonna get caught. Where's the post? Where's the post? Where's the post? Where's the post? Indeed, where was the post? Welcome to the Bar Steward Sunday Sermon. If only uh, I didn't have a, a, fa- a significant financial sum invested in Caribus yesterday, and I think I'd have had more fun at uh, old Blogger and Stallion going through the going through the mill there on Caribus. Anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, my name's Lee Keys of SystemBet.co.uk, and with me tonight is John Lang of John Joe's Blogspot, as always. Good I evening, John. I think that. Um... Fight at Newmarket was the queue for Stallion blowing for cash after the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> they were not very unhappy, though. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. They wanted to get out of the queue, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll come on to the, a bit of shenanigans at Newmarket in a bit. And also joining us tonight is uh, Lorne Melbo from Twitter. And of course... A good friend of mine, uh, Chris. Good evening. How are you doing? Real good. Um, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't halfway through yesterday. I mean, I mean we'll go through the racing now. Yesterday, because obviously punters will be intrigued to know what we thought of yesterday's fair. I thought it was quite informative across <clears> the board. Um, it was certainly informative um, as I, I was betting like Terry Ramsden and thrashing like a wild Atlantic salmon in a keep net um, midway through the afternoon as things were going against me right, left and centre, including the, the blogger race Caribus, which we'll come on to in a moment. Um, so yesterday, gents, um, we'll, we'll first get on to the, the, the talk about the classics next year, because there, there were some races that certainly... Uh, have implications for the betting for the classics um and okay then we'll go we'll come straight away to the royal lodge um which of course was uh, the uh, finish where everyone 32000 was matched at 101 on Caribus, as uh, some in running punters were licking their gaping wounds after the race um like like john says stallion was uh, uh, was having to uh, sell sell certain bodily parts uh, to pay for yesterday. Um, what did we make of the Royal Lodge? John, I'll come to you first. I thought it was quite an instructive race insofar as it told us Caribus has plenty of ability to match his terrific physical makeup. Um, whether that would make him into a Guinness contender would be another matter. Um Sometimes these big two-year-olds, if you have a hard race like that, and make no mistake, he's had a hard race there. They might just take a little bit of time to get through the winter. Um, and I think I mentioned to you earlier, I could see him maybe even starting off in something like the Jersey Stakes now. Yeah, well, like in the Jersey Stakes at Ascot, John, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the seven furlong race. I mean, it, like, like, like you say, I mean, that could have... It looked to me... He, he was he was very tired in that final furlong, and but the the, the acceleration. I mean, I was shouting Pinatubo at the, at the television. I was saying this is Pinatubo. This is Pinatubo. Yeah, Mark two. Win, wasn't he? Um, but I, I think another thing it told us is that the kilt has a fairly useful prospect for middle distances, and uh, I think we should run a Bastiard's competition where there's a 
a bottle of gin for whoever can send in the uh, the suggestion for the best way he's going to spanner up its three-year-old career. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, you'd think, John, you'd think that that he has got a genuine Derby candidate there, wouldn't you? Yes. Um, the dip fan, you, it looks a well-balanced horse, it's going to stay. Um, everything would point to it being an Epsom candidate, but you can more or less guarantee it will turn up in the futurity before the end of the season. Um, yeah which wouldn't be necessary in my book. Um, and then chances are it won't miss a dance before the derby. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he likes sand down. He, he, he'll be itching to pull the trigger. So classic trial would be on the agenda. Maybe all in the classic trial. Everybody's getting giddy. Tries to make all in the dance. He gets dick, but Percy Reyes runs at Epsom. Tries to make all straight onto Goodwood. By the time the Voltiger comes round, it's probably got quite a few spots on it by then. And then nobody gives a shit when he tries to make all in the ledger. <laughs> Expertly summed up. Um, I, I agree. I think Royal Patronage is a really interesting derby candidate. Uh, certainly not a guinea's horse. Um, for next year, I, he won't have the speed, I don't think, for the Curra or um, for Newmarket. Um, so, but you never know. Like John says the kilt's capable of anything. He might run them in both, um, <laughs> and the dancer. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, he could have had four runs by the end of May. Um, so, so that's that's the problem there. Uh, Chris, what did did you, did you see anything in the Royal Lodge yesterday that, that sort of did you concur with what we're saying? Yeah, t- totally. One thing that struck me is that. Um... Uh, Appleby Horse and Native Trail look tremendous physical specimens, don't they? I mean, they're really, yeah. really taking types. It's it's very they're very impressive uh, visually. So, but but no, I agree with everything you say on that, and particularly also the Johnson horse. I think, but my fear with that would be would be the trainers campaigning of the horse. I could see him having five runs by the end of May, and that that would trouble me. If if, if it was somebody like I don't know Willie Haggis, you, you'd think that horse would be put away now and campaigned with a you know, with, with a sensible strategy in mind. With Johnson, I'm not so sure, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, interesting times there, then, for the Caribus for and Royal Patronage. Obviously, two very nice horses. Yeah. Um, 2.25, that was the Chevrolet Park. And here at the Bar Stewards, we, 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 would, we were saluted and swinging it round. Um, we, we were, we, you know, it was doing helicopters in the room as, as Flotus was quickening clear at the furlong pole. And uh, the each way selection from me just to just uh, was Sandrine. We opposed the favourite. We said no good is the favourite. Went off thirteen away. No good. Field goal. No good. We're celebrating. We're jumping up and down again for the second race running. And what happens? Brian Moore up that rail. A remarkable turn of foot from Tenebrism um, to deny Flotus. John. Yeah, I was gutted. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was quite gutted at my lack of speed and alacrity in getting a nice chunk matched up at 1.03 or something like that, you know, which I probably should have done. But I, I was just sort of sat there open mouthed at this really quickly in the way she did. And um, I think the winner's good, actually. Um, so that probably tempers me self-flagellation a little bit 
you know, I think I, I probably bumped into one. I got I got out in running anyway for mistake, but I should have locked the profit in, really. Yeah, I mean, to quote Aidan, he, he believes that, that she's very much like the sire, uh, very much so Caravaggio in the way that she can quicken out. Probably agree with that. Um, though I, I'm sort of tempering enthusiasm for the day as well about that stands rail because... I know, I know Perfect Power, which we'll come on to in a minute, won up the middle. But Bedouin's story won the Cambridge up the rail. Um, you know, and obviously Tenebrism, tight to the rail all the way. Kind of just makes you, you wonder a little bit there, you, you, you know, before getting getting really carried away. Um, um, prospects for staying the Guineas trip to, for, for Tenebrism, John? Yeah, she switches off. Lovely. I wouldn't give a monkey's about another 500 yards there. No worries. Yeah. Um, just just coming on to a question because I forgot. So faster than light's been on, and he and he was wondering why. Have we got any opinion why Massacala disappointed in the Royal Lodge? Yeah, it's quite Charles probably hasn't really filled its frame yet. There's a lot of scope about it, so it might still just have a little bit of strengthening up to do, and it's maybe just still going on top of it a bit. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. I mean, you know, it's been on go since May. Um, you know, like that's his fifth start. It, as, 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 as can go with two-year-olds, it might be just worth putting away now um, for next year and, and seeing how it develops through the winter. Um, we then move on to the middle park, and obviously I, I commented on the pod about perfect power. So did Quentin, um, stating that um, perfect power was sort of um, much the best, but obviously was was going to be ridden in such a way that, you know, you you you'd be you'd be basically not. It, you might as well go out and have a fag or something or a pint and not watch the race because it wouldn't be pleasant viewing if you've sort of backed it pre-play because it was never going to be that sort of uh, sort of race for it. But impressive that it still managed to get there and down the middle perhaps. Um, it because I don't think they've gone mad on the front at all there by any stretch. Go bears go. I expected to lead. He didn't lead, and I don't think Ross Ryan made enough use of it. Because that's it, the line with some running in it. Yeah. And, uh, to my mind, that should have been emptying out about 100 yards out, out if he'd written it correctly. And with an nearly, well, I, I'm not saying that they're going to short as floaters, but the way the race was run, I think a bit more use. Yeah. Though uh, that would have been in order. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think it outlines probably perfect power is 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 certainly. A very very smart uh, cult in terms of you know it's pr- totally proven now. Um, obviously, beat Gobez, go Ascot, um, then it's it's beat Trident, then it's then it's come and, and done that. I don't think there's any arguments that Perfect Power is the best, but I agree, John. Probably that could have been done with going a, 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 a tad quicker. Um, any views from you, Chris, in the middle part? No, nothing. I'd take a slightly different view. I mean, uh, yeah, it's proven, but that, that race didn't rock my world. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not one of that would support it next season. I think probably Richard Farr, he doesn't strike me as a sort of a, a classic winning trainer yet. But yeah, I mean, look, it's good, good two-year-old form, but I'm not sure that'll that'll train on. That's just oh. my feeling. Okay, no. Um Then the Cambridgeshire and good old Spencer. Uh, Spoiling every uh, punter's uh, sort of uh, wages. Well, I say every punter, you know, obviously favourite backers or people that latch on to gambles uh, in races like that. And Anne Mark was very well bet uh, on the machine and, and, and strong on the off. And uh, good old Jamie, uh, 
comes and does everybody on a track he's not usually uh, riding many winners, John, at Newmarket. It was a funny race, really, wasn't it? Because um, the favourite was envy enough, and I, I said on the preview, I thought they'd get the favourite out early enough, and I expect the favourite to drop away. It didn't. Um, I, have an, I had half an eye on the other side, obviously, because every bloody stinking hundred to one poke going and winning the race on the far side. Yeah, that that was a great call. Um, and up until about the tail pole, I thought I was in with a bit of a squeak actually, because he was rocking along lovely, and I thought they were just about in front of the far side. I thought, hey, I'm in here. And then, of course, as the stagger unwound, to my horror, I found that uh, I wasn't. Uh, one of Crack, cracking dark that really absolutely cracking to, yeah. to, to win a race uh obviously 11 on that far side and you know you you've you've basically got the rag of the field more or the less and you've uh you've you, you've nailed it it's just a bit of a shame um but um i mean for me obviously i was uncle Bryn, which eventually finished sixth um i was I think I think we're right, John. Something. Do you think something happened in between the last winner Ascot and? Yes, he, I'm absolutely convinced. It's it, it's a case of and I, I never think Gosden leaves much on these. Yeah. When they're coming back from a layoff, our first run of the season, whatever. Um, he's certainly different to Michael Stout, who would always leave more or less a, a guaranteed eight or ten pound on him. Um. Gosden's tend to be pretty well tuned, and I think that race at Ascot might have been harder than we thought at the time. And he, he he's clearly come back, and he he's done a piece of work that's disappointed everybody because there's no way on God's green earth Detari was picking that other thing over that. Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, we all said that. We all how on earth? I mean, that was the big false flag. You know, magical morning as soon as Detari picked to ride that. It was it was basically made favourite by the books, and I just we all do. Well, I think we all agreed it was like well, what you know. It was got form with Cruyff Turn, which which by all due respect, if Cruyff Turn ran with it, ran in the Cambridgeshire, it'd be it'd be forty to one. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I say, it's strange things, but there we go. Like I said, I did expect Uncle Bryn to win the Cambridgeshire after it, it did what it did at Ascot, but I think something went wrong in in the interim because for Frankie. To just say no and ride a very very exposed sort that I think that tells you all you need to know that, that I, I they must have ran flat in a gallop I, or something. I think he probably ran a bit better than they even expected, like. Yeah, well certainly. I mean, you look on Betfair. Well, you know, there was somebody trying to lay like pretty lumps out of it at fourteen point five and fifteen yeah. near the off, as if to say, you know, this is this well, ain't going to win. In fact, gone smoothly since Ascot. I mean, that was fought one poke on it. I think so because it wasn't a good Cambridgeshire, hence, oh. hence, hence the winner and the the second really, you know, it, it's all right as the second, but I didn't think it had, had much uh, much in hand. Um, it wasn't a vintage Cambridgeshire for us. Um, right, we move on to the uh, other uh, big race in Ireland yesterday, and obviously a very taking performance uh, from Luxembourg. The lads certainly got stuck into it yesterday, um, smashing it in from sort of sort of five to four. Uh, in the morning, right into a very heavily backed. It was struggling to hold eight to eleven on the machine at the off, and boy, did the lads know what they got because this absolutely destroyed them in a in a in a, in a very good time, uh, one forty and four. 
um, which was basically, um, uh, I think it, the other two-year-old maiden, which Good Evans finished second in from the Baby Joseph team, um, it was two and a half seconds quicker than that. Um, and I think in Luxembourg, we saw a, a very, very genuine uh, Guinness contender, John. Yes, I mean, I, I got that was completely wrong. I, wasn't, I, I said on Friday night, he didn't really light a fire under me on debut. Um, I'm, I'm still not completely convinced because I think he's a bit angular and doesn't, he doesn't move in the, in the manner of us that I find particularly taking, but by God, he moves at speed from A to B. You know what I mean? You can't travel the horse with that. What, what I would say is I don't think Swan Bear went a step in that race. No. And uh, I wonder if the lads had the confidence increased with maybe a bit of a negative report for Swan Bear. But can't take it away from the winner. It was impressive. Yeah, and the time back does back that up. But it, and obviously the way that quickened so from sort of like 1.5 yeah. out to, to the to the winning post suggests that's some flying machine. Interesting what Jamie Effenden also said when he said that that one of the one of the uh, the the work riders who's he did mention his name I forget but a senior work rider there who doesn't call geese swans actually said said use the word this is absolute class so. Obviously, it's a Rolls Royce of an engine. Uh, I agree with you. It's quite ungainly. Um, like you say, it's, it, there's certain it doesn't move like a like a fluent athlete, but it, it certainly it, the engine just makes up for that. It's clearly got one. Um, and I think Luxembourg's very interesting for the classics next year. There, uh, they might decide to dodge HQ and go for the uh, the Irish Guineas. I, 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 potentially, I, I don't know, but we'd have to see. Uh, uh, for next year. Chris, did you watch the Irish Berrysford? I, I did, yeah. It was like the old days, wasn't it, with Tabor and Smith smashing one up into odd zone, uh, which we haven't seen too much of in the last couple of years. But but I think, it, yeah, I think this is a class act. But I think also they probably had a negative about Joseph O'Brien's horse as well. I, I agree that that probably increased confidence. But you couldn't fail to be impressed with it. I mean, it looked a tool, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um so, uh, interesting for the, the classics next year. We've got Native Trail, obviously, that looked a monster uh, when it defeated Point Lonsdale um, um, uh, earlier this month. And obviously, Luxembourg now enters that, that, that kind of fold. Potential match, John, for the Guineas next year. Looks pretty much that way, but I think I'd stick with Native Trail at the minute. Um, yeah, yeah. Purely on the undulations at the market, you know. I think he's... Uh, He's more equipped to deal with it. If that's typical of Luxembourg, what I say yesterday. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's 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 why I thought. I wonder if they'll even dodge the English guineas and st- stay at the Curragh uh, for the Irish. I don't know. But time will tell on that. Um, so, so certainly some informative racing. Uh, our picks weren't too bad yesterday. To be fair, we had a lot of bad luck. I felt I felt we could have, you know, had a bit better luck of rubber the green, and we would have been flying for profit. Um, uh, I watched something today, by the way, chaps. Um, Gary Wiltshire on the Look on Sunday, which I, I recommend anyone to watch. If you've 37 minutes spare in your time, go to Racing TV. You can find it on there on, on their Twitter feed. Um, I thought it was a, a real quality piece of content. Gary Wiltshire obviously talking about the, the Frankie Dettori thing and how much he owed everybody and that. He, he, he basically, from the heart, was Gary as always, heart on his sleeve. And, and that's that's compelling 
uh, watching and listening for anyone that sort of like likes the real stuff in racing, not this smoke blowing ramble you get from the racing person everywhere else. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, and, and Carl Swanson says, uh, it's a question related to that. And he says, after seeing Gary Wiltshire on look on Sunday, um, which were the bookies on course you go to knowing they'd stand you a good bet. Um, I'll start it off. And I will always say back in the day, because obviously I, I, I'm going back in the day when I was going on course. I very rarely go on course to bet these days. Um, but back in the day, it was always Barry Dennis for me. I can remember wanting to back a maiden horse at uh, Newmarket once. And there was only one one place I was heading because Barry would take lumpy bets at fairly short prices. No, no problem. No, you know, no, none of this. I'll have you and, you know, and then you're scooting around. Barry Dennis would lay you. Uh, John, any, anybody for you? Who, who, uh, who you could... Yeah, quite, quite a few, actually. I mean, Leslie Stale was always very good. Yeah. Um, John, Johnny Ridley, um, again, an absolute gent to deal with. Um and a couple of more obscure ones. John Gillibrand from Blackpool. Oh, he was without a favourite. That's the boy, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he was always good for a giggle. And uh, one of the actual favourites was uh, one that used to stand at Renker quite a lot. Billy Day, who used to play for the Borough. And uh, he sort of drifted into on-course boat-making. And really, I mean, if I wanted to back one of Michael's up at Renker or York. I mean, he'd pretty much take anything off me because he, he liked the mark. And <laughs> so there was one occasion they ran a two-year-old called Wadood on uh, debut in the maiden at the Dante meeting. And uh, pretty much that was a certainty, like. And uh, I went over to say Billy, I said, they're putting this in about a money, Billy, I said, uh, I'll have a G on if you... Yes, no problem, he said. And, uh, I went over to see him after rest to pick up and uh, he said, oh, he said, lovely result, that. He said, I just laid the boat without it. He said, I just never, never priced it up. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, like I said, going back in the day, he, it's a different game. It's a completely different game now. As Gary said, and I'll just, I'll just give you a spoiler, what he said on Nick Luck today. Uh, the spoiler is that that Gary said bookmaking back then was all about opinion and you know and and sticking your neck out. Nowadays, it literally is make a book and then you you look on the computer and you can even press all green, all green, so you yeah. can literally. And that's what some of them do. They just turn up and then they just go all green and they've got 120 quid on the race. They don't stand a bet. They don't let it. And I think it's that that kind of. You know, it takes out the romance. You know, the, the, the people should work. You know, if, if you're a bookmaker or a punter, you should all work to form an opinion and bet to that opinion, not just you know just click green or. And I, I dislike that. I think, as I said, it, it, Gary's right on that. It's it, the game's ebbing away on that. On yeah. that, and, you know, it's, it, a bookmaker should basically have a have an opinion. You know, and yeah. and not not just go like robots. Anyone can do that. Um, so yeah, but Chris, what about you? South of Watford, any anybody yeah, down there? That... I mean, in the in the golden era, the, the Southern Rings were notoriously strong, and there were loads of people that would take a thick bet. I mean, but some somebody like you know people like Dudley Roberts, for instance, was 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 very was well known for having probably one of the best cards in the ring, and I I, I sort of have a sort of a, a kind of a what's the word a, 
a tangential, I think that's the word, relationship with Dudley Roberts. My, my aunt used to drive a young Dudley Roberts to slough dogs because he was a punter, um, you know, almost from the get-go. And his dad used to run a pub called the Jolly Butcher. And Dudley got his stake in the betting game by, they used to get all the information from uh, Manny Mercer. Well, John, I remember, obviously he was killed on course. And, uh, you know, he used to get all the buzzers from, direct from Manny Mercer. And, uh, you know, they amassed enough uh, before Manny uh, was killed, tragically, to, for him to get going with bookmaking. But, you know, this was a guy that had an opinion, albeit, you know, ultimately it was marked cards, etc., but yeah, he he would he would lay a thick bet on something he didn't fancy or that he had was no good in the book, etc. And and I think his son now works with uh, Dean Valentine, that was one of Simon Knott's um, videos last year. So yeah, he he's retired now, but but the, the family I think the family interest continues with Simon Roberts. But yeah, all all good punters and bookmakers. Good stuff. Yeah, great memories. Um, yeah. I mean I mean just a final story on the topic from me, John Power. Um, uh, you know, at Wembley, um, Norman McKellistrom, who used to train oh, there, yeah, I know. um, you know, yeah. basically we, we were stuck in to go and, and back some of their, their live wire dogs. And, yeah. um, because obviously faces were known in the ring. And obviously if, if you were a face that backed McKellistrom dogs, the, the books would obviously chalk up shorter. So, yeah. So we were we were put in charge of of that that prospect and anyway this dog opened up at eight to one, um we drove up way down to Wembley and 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 so we and John Power obviously took very lumpy bets we're going back back in the day it was probably I'm trying to remember the year I would imagine it would be about nineteen ninety three ish yeah um and basically um. Uh, this dog in question. So he laid us, uh, I think it was 1,500 pound at eights. He got cut into about 11 or two. Um, but that, that was the money on that we, we were told to put on and a bit for ourselves. And anyway, the, the, the dog went five clear, got chinned on the line. And um, he saw the like disdain on his faces. And he just, he just leaned over the rail and said, uh, Northern boys going for an early bath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible bastard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Terry, yeah. Terry Dartnell was the uh, the governor at Wembley. I mean, you know, I had a couple of dogs with Terry Dartnell over the years. But, you know, this is a guy that would have, going back in the early 90s, he would have 15 grands on graders. And he'd be back in dogs at sort of six to four, have his 15 grand on. And you knew that these were open races. They would, you know, the, the others would have to cut across the middle to beat it. So, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was a great, great game there. And a very strong market. You, you had Powers and, 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 and Tony Morris and, and various others. But, but yeah, as John, I think, has alluded to it, but those days are gone. I mean, the, the markets, whether on course at dogs, or just bears no relation to what it was. It's very sad. I do think the way the game's going, and we'll come on to obviously affordability in a bit, but the way the game is going, I do think the on-course market can revive. Uh, and I'll put my points across when we get to that subject. But just just a breaker, um, Claire from York's been on. Um, nurse Claire is. Um, carry on, nurse. That's what oh, Emma. Four yeah. bits, please. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she says... She says, how long before someone gets killed on a racetrack uh, after seeing the new market shenanigans uh, take place on, on, on Saturday? How long is it going to be? It's taking too long, really. <laughs> it sounds awful, that. Um, I've, I've been tipping this for 
well, since God's dog was a pup, to be honest. Yeah. And I've, I've been tipping jockeys getting stabbed as well, um, because there's some absolute nut bars going racing these days, especially yeah. on the weekend. And I'm amazed there's not been more incidents reported, in all honesty. And uh, there was somebody on the Racing Post Facebook uh, page where they were reporting this, and he said, uh, oh, these people, you know, he said, they turn up in the silks with no socks and all this. And I, I pointed out to him, I said, well, if you've ever lost a fist fight, and then some some fat twat in a Giacomo check suit is taking your socks off you and trying to strangle you with them. <laughs> you realize why these people go socks to the race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take your belt off. Yeah. Um, it's, it's nasty. I, I don't want to go racing in a way. No. I mean, they used to say also, I mean, I don't know, they used to say sort of Chepstow in, in, the, in the winter. Uh, when um, you know used to get sort of coaches of football, alleged football fans going down there, but it's a combination of of the drink primarily and the marching powder, and I think it's the sort of people that are being encouraged to go racing. Now, you know, I, I can say you know, 20 years ago it was never like that, and you could argue that society has changed, so it's not a particularly fair comparison. But you know, as Oscar Wilde said, only a fool doesn't judge by appearances. And you look at some of these people, and you think, yeah, you're trouble. And unfortunately, John's right. There are lots of incidents that aren't reported. I was speaking to a friend of mine the other week who went race. can't remember where it was. And there were quite a few scuffles that never sort of made the papers or weren't reported because it's sort of part and parcel of the great British Saturday afternoon out. So unfortunately, it's only going to get worse, I think. You can go back even like 20 years. And I mean, if you went to Pontefract on a Friday night, there was always a chance you get a smack in the mouth of somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It was always on the cards. It was that, that undercurrent. Um, Thirsk, similar on a Saturday, you know. Um, it, it's probably on a single certain courses out, but it, it was the impression I got at the time. I mean, I was going racing plenty then, you know. Uh, not nice. No. I mean, I mean, the thing for me as well, I mean, they're employing stewards that aren't fighters they aren't bouncers these in the yellow jackets are on nine pound an hour basically yeah. they're not there to split they're tired, aren't they? you know i mean they're doing it for topping the pensions up old bastards yeah, yeah. It, it, it's no. we're not we're not dealing with fighters you know no. in terms of and this is the thing you know you could see so a member of staff getting badly hurt it, it really is it really sorting out. But then, John, are you surprised, Chris? Are you surprised that with racing, direct the, the directive, especially ITV, the way that ITV is going, um, in terms of, you know, let's let's promote drinking at race course. Oh, this is lovely alfresco dining. Blow. Pissed up thickos. That's what they want, and, and they yeah. got them. Yeah, that's it. You've got what you you're promoting. My, my local ranger, um now, the the previous race car manager was an absolute turd in a basket, in fact. He did stick to one thing that I felt was good. He restricted where they could go with the drink. Now, there's no member's enclosure, and they can literally just walk anywhere. They sit up carrying plastic pant glasses, and they're all over. They're in your face all afternoon. You cannot literally get away from them. They're in the betting ring. The, on the stairwells, the, you name it, they're there. Yeah. You know, um, 
and it's absolutely sickening, you know. I mean, they're just turning it into a doubt for swillheads. Yeah, it is. It, it's because because the product, the racing, is incidental to a lot of the marketing. It's pop concerts, alfresco yeah. dining, and, and you know, look if if you if you target that demographic, that's what you're going to get. So 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 in that sense, their marketing strategy has been fantastically successful. You know, oh, yeah. they've got it's what they want. Yeah, you know, I mean, but funnily enough, I, I I think I sent Lee a video of uh, a day back in the early seventies at Redka. Where it was absolutely rammed after I think it was the Vox Gold Tanker. There were about 12 deep at the uh, winner's enclosure, can't get a, a glimpse of sea pigeon or something like that. And I, I remember in, in those days, you know, when I first started going racing, Red Key used to get rammed and it was for the racing. It was Handicap Handicap Day, William Hill Gold Cup. And people, locals were actually genuinely interested and excited about what might be running. Now they couldn't give a flying shit. It's Caribbean Carnival, mate, and they're all blacking up and going <laughs> nipples. And, you know what I mean? That's that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Through the noses. And that's just yeah. from, from Darmanstown. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Claire York. Uh, problems for the tracks going forward then. John Lang says so, Chris says so, and so do I. The bastards say problems for the race tracks. Uh, we move on to our next subject, um, which is um, problem gambling. And uh, obviously, we had a show earlier this week, uh, which was certainly very interesting uh, regarding uh, Jeff Banks and Carnberry. Thank, thanks to those you know for for coming on to debate on the show because it's what we need more of really um you know proper debate and clearly the industry's got a a big problem here because we've now been dragged into uh the the wider social uh impacts of problem gambling um and it's clear now that bookmakers are using this jeff admitted this on the show um bookmakers are using this for their own ends to tidy up their database if you like um in other words get rid of the accounts that, that they're not bothered about as in they could be long-term accounts but if they're not winning anything off them get rid of them problem gambling you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that's relatively evident with the people i come across in in the game that have had problems with their accounts being closed you know, for nothing other than well, you've deposited, and, and and I can tell, I can tell you a truth here. Uh, I had not deposited on Betfair for over eight weeks, and I deposited into Betfair two days ago, and I got, I then got the dreaded emails again. You know, like it, it, it is, you know, about responsible gambling. I've not deposited for over eight weeks. I've not, you know, I, I've done well. I've done, and then apart from a recent bad run. Um, but you know, I've been withdrawing body bar, which you shouldn't do. Really, you shouldn't be. It's, they, they're trying to make you keep it in, and the problem with that is, so let's say you build a massive balance up. Doesn't that make you more tempted to 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 do it all in? Yeah, to shoot it up, wouldn't it? That's the you thing. know, imagine after a bad day, you get the needle if you haven't got the discipline. And before, like, I, I mean, I've I've had these these people on Twitter, and I call them idiots. They'll say they'll say, what? Why do you need to deposit if you're so successful? Why do you need to deposit? Well, because we're not all arbors and traders, and we're not all after fifty pound green screens and hundred. But you know, the fact of the fact of the matter is, unless you bend or you trade, you will have to deposit gambling because losing runs are a massive factor of the game. And yeah. it, and and this is this is how it works. You know, in in August, 
early August, I couldn't back a winner. Um, September early, it's gone fantastic. Um, you know, so I've withdrawn, paid some bills, blah, blah, blah. Now I've deposited and, and now they're after me again. And th- this is the thing. And John Hines comes on. He says, like, so he, he, he wants us to answer a question. He says, what's the view on us morally regarding problem gambling? Do we have any responsibility? Sometimes on Betfair, you see lumpy bets um, that you think, is that someone on the chase? I.e. it's a bit bigger than what you normally see on the machine. But if you see a drunk in the pub, as long as they aren't a nuisance, it's basically their own business, question mark. John? I'll give you a little analogy here. Um, two years ago, the Labour Party didn't have a problem with anti-Semitism. But Jeremy Corbyn went and apologised for it. Then they had a massive problem with anti-Semitism. Yeah. Racing is acting in a similar way. Because of all this jam care and all the rest of it, racing's taken all this on board. Every advert's called bet responsibly. When the fun stops, stop. All this. They've exacerbated the problem. Now, from a personal standpoint, I can honestly say I don't give a monkeys about these people that do it in your Shiltons, your Mersons, your smaller people as well that get themselves into trouble. We're all adults, we make adult choices. You know, um, if they choose to carry on in that way, I can't help them, I'm not going to help them. I couldn't if I wanted to. Yeah. It's not my problem. It's not racing's problem. If every supplier is going to get hauled over the coals because somebody overdoes it, I mean, what happens next? Do the brewers end up in court because of every piss-stained wannabe that stood outside a pub shouting he could have been a contender? No. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is where we're at, and it's it's very sad because, you know, I mean... There's help out there for these people, but you can't penalise 95% of the gambling population who gamble without problem day in, day out. Yeah, enormous problems from the Gambling Commission and uh, from the bookmakers who are taking full advantage of this situation. And if people say, well, how do you know the bookmakers are taking advantage of the situation? I'll tell you why. Because the bookmakers are very, very powerful lobbyists in Parliament. They're, they're able to basically, re- I would reverse say, most decisions or basically get a favourable decision on their side. If they didn't want affordability checks, uh, the bookmakers, there would be no affordability checks. It's that simple. The Gambling Commission can have recommendations and, you know, to do with licences, but let's be fair here. And, and by the way, I know people, I, I, I have a personal friend who's, who's, who's an MP, and basically I know for a fact they aren't lobbying. They, they were lobbying for the slots uh, limits to keep keep high. They were lobbying to keep the slot limits high. They weren't, they, but they aren't lobbying on affordability checks. Now, you've got to ask yourself why on that. Um, Chris, come to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got really nothing, nothing to add about that. But, but John, John's right. I mean, look, ninety-five percent of the people who gamble responsibly are being penalised as a result of uh, 
the sort of the bad behaviour, ill-disciplined behaviour of the minority. But with regard to Shilton, I mean, for, for me, and I could be completely wrong here, you know, Shilton is campaigning not because he gives a shit about people that were in a similar position to him, but I think this is a precursor to some kind of career on the victim circuit, which is, can be quite lucrative, of course. So he's got a book out, he's on television, he's on the radio, he's got his missus with him. I, I can see this is a second career for him. Uh, and, and I think this is he's campaigning purely out of self-interest because he wants a job advising some kind of government quango or some kind of charity, etc. You know, th this is for Peter Shilton. And I, I find the whole kind of thing absolutely nauseating, to be honest with you, as I do all these professional victims, to be honest. Yeah, well said. And so, John Irons, answers answer your question. Uh, no, we don't have responsibility. You can't, like John rightfully said, you cannot, you simply cannot take, there's enough help as it is. There is plenty of help. You know, we, we've already got like things shoved in our faces day in, day out. You know, do you want to restrict your, or better, do you, do you want to take time off? Do you want to, you know, it's always there. It's as much help as you can get uh, with that. But if we want draconian rule and we want, you know, then uh, we, we should not want to be governed hard. We, if we live in a free society, we should be left free to make our own choices and decisions. And whilst accepting it's very sad that some people do destroy their lives, and, so, and so, you know, you can't... People destroy their lives in many ways, in different, yeah. different... You know, I mean, why is it okay then? For, for so, uh, so, like, it's not okay for people to... Uh, put money in slot machines and 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 commit suicide, but it's okay for someone to work for a for a stockbroker for as a stockbroker for a bank and chuck yourself off a building. Yeah, you, you know it's the same thing. Basically, why is why is the stock market uh, nice and safe, but the but the betting world isn't? I mean, it's the biggest load of bullshit. I've, I, and and driven rubbish. I've ever heard. It's the same thing. It's there's no difference to it. It's just, it's just one's accepted, one isn't. One's uh, an investment, one's a gamble, you know. And, and but fundamentally, they're exactly the same. But but in in common parlance, you know, stockbrokers are respectable, you know, sensible, measured people, and, and gamblers are sort of mouth breathing, drooling, you know, degenerates. Yeah, uh, and, uh, I mean, secondly as well, we need to separate games of chance fr from yeah. games of skill. That needs to, in fact, I, I am fully in favour. And in fact, I urge people to write to their MPs and on this and say there should be legislation brought in that bookmakers should have separate sites for casinos, not on the sites of games of skill. So basically, a football match, a horse racing event, any, any kind of way you can win via skill should not be mixed in with slot machines, blackjack and casino. Absolutely it's that not. simple. But they're um, but they're on the same site, Lee, as you know, as we all know, for a reason. People oh, get, get the needle. Uh, they want to bet. Racing's finished. They want to try and win back what they've lost during the day. Oh, I'll just jump across for a few hands of virtual poker or or, or slots or whatever. You know that that that's it's there for a reason, isn't it? Yeah. Right. We move on quickly to CloudWatch. Um, and this week, uh, CloudWatch or CloudWatch? <laughs> CloudWatch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the wrong podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, bit of bit of bit of bit of red tube there. Um, anyway. yeah, quite. <laughs> um, yeah, Clark Watch. And right. do you know what? I, I never thought I'd say this. Never ever thought I would come on a, a certainly say it publicly. I feel sorry for Mister Tellwright um, because you know, it, lo and behold, he produced nice quick ground at Haydock. 
You know, the times were around standard. So, you know, the better horses like Nugget went faster than standard. Mondamedge faster than standard. Um, Everything else just about a second slow. But lovely, quick, uh, flat ground. And sadly, he didn't get the entries and he got a few non-runners to boot. Um, He had a two-runner match race to finish the card. I feel sorry for that Clark because uh, lately he's gone against the grain. He he didn't water for the Adox Sprint Cup obviously for probably obvious reasons uh with wanted the favorite to run but oh. i felt sorry for kirk because we as punters we're screaming out for the ground to be left alone as much as possible we accept the safety concerns when it gets too road like quick as as john said you know tell me a, a scenario where baths had any problems no no one can remember a broken leg at bath or, or you know or breaking down at bath uh, well, I can't. I, I haven't seen one. If, if, if a listener can point me to one, then then fair play. But I, I can't remember one. John, Clark watched this week. Well, well done, Kirkland. Um, yeah. That's all you can say, really. Trainers are arseholes. Um, if that had probably occurred end of October when they can't cram a run in, you'd have probably found the maiden was oversubscribed. And, yeah, you know, they just... The strange creatures, trainers. Um, what's not acceptable end of September, end of October would be perfectly acceptable. There'll, there'll be there'll be maidens at the last meeting at Donny that'll be oversubscribed. That maiden will get split. And if we've had a dry October, they won't give a flying shape whether it's firm round or not. Um, it's it's interesting sometimes to look back on the amount of runners in certain races as well, because trainers are creatures of habit, and they traditionally use certain maidens for for two-year-olds, and I don't think many of them spend a lot of time on the programme, though, to be honest. No. I mean, Chris... Your thoughts? Um, uh, any 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 clout watch this week that you've noticed? Any tracks that? Um, I mean, in terms of Adoc, like I say, uh, uh, people were moaning about Newmarket sticking a bit on, etc. But I, I didn't really see much fault with Newmarket this week, other than uh, possible, you know, potential bias towards that rail. I mean, you know, it could have been, could have been that way. I don't think they utilised it much, but. No, I mean, nothing really to add, but I, I agree with John. You know, you know, Kirk and Tellwright was rewarded with a load of non-runners. So, so it makes you wonder what, what kind of ground trainers are after. And I do agree that I don't see much evidence that they're studying the programme book, because as you say, at the end of the end of the year, they just sort of load up the maidens with anything they haven't given a run to. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what more he can do, really. We produce good ground and uh, had a load of non-runners. So God knows. Yeah, I mean, we tried to get a clerk of the course on the show. Um, we uh, we were kind of getting a promising bit of dialogue, but sadly, the clerk of course, in, uh, clerk of the course in question, cough sundown, um, <laughs> um, refused to uh, come on after probably seeing, uh, probably looked at our pods and thought, no, thank you. I think that's part of the problem that racing still has a has a quite an insular problem. You know, with dealing with with the media, or, or basically getting, and all, all I invited him to do was come come on and put his side across. It's quite simple. Um, put your side across, and we'll cross examine you. But that's what the, the, they want—a soft ride, you know, by the racing media. I don't think you'll have fancied the cross examination, to be honest. No, 
I mean, I mean, especially the getting up at like ten to nine. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, very lazy Clark when Clarks are producing going stick reports at six a.m., six thirty a.m. Just so the punters can wade in uh, around nine a.m. When the, when the limits lift on on certain betting accounts, he wouldn't know any of this. Um, I mean, no, but but it's extraordinary, isn't it? I think I think you touched on it quite quite well, and you said that they're not used to cross examination. I mean, you know, with, with Lydia Hislop and and, and Nicky Henderson. You know, that was sort of uh, kind of all over social media, wasn't it? And it was sort of portrayed as this huge bust up. If you look at it, there was just a mild disagreement. But I suppose in, in racing terms, that's like a huge kind of disagreement. It's mad, you know, it, it's because that's symptomatic of how how much of a soft ride people in racing get from the media. You know, uh, absolutely. That, that was it was embarrassing. She said, you know, soft ground he said heavy and everyone say oh my god did you see what Lydia's it's rubbish it's a mild it's fantastic to get some more money well we, I mean for listen, listeners I mean if you know anyone that wants to appear on this podcast that would certainly add, add, add to interest in debate usually it has to be someone retired yeah. uh, someone, someone that's not uh, willing to risk the gravy train career and willing, not, you know, because like we know, like we say, if you go against the establishment in racing or you go against, yeah, we accept that you can't go against your employer. You can't. No, so, no. I mean, anyone, any listeners that knows anyone that, that wants to come on an honest podcast like this in terms of, we and don't. doesn't want to get paid either. Yeah, there's no, there's no money. Either. <laughs> no money. Zero start. money. The bank account's <laughs> empty. The, exactly. the, zero, the bar steward's bank account is at <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's rock bottom. Yeah. So, so you know, you, you we could probably pay you in kind, probably meet up and, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, and you can buy us a beer, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll borrow money off from her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A credit line would be appreciated. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, anyway, so we, before we come on to... Uh, John's got a fantastic Jimmy Lindley to finish the show. Um, before that, I'll just do a couple of questions. Um, and... Uh, one here is from Quentin Franks, one of our panellists, one of our bastards, a fully-fledged bastard. Now it's Quentin. He's learned the bastards way. Um, and he says, do you think that racing um, was a little more enjoyable uh, and punting, finding angles easier when horses could be handicapped after just one one victory? So basically, a horse could win a maiden, then the handicapper would just automatically give it a mark because you've won your maiden. John? I used to love it. Yeah. I did. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, because you you really could take a view over a particular maiden race. You know, um, they were invariably towards the head of the market. So it's it always presented punting opportunities, really. And, and it was good fun as well. You know, he's, uh, he's right about the enjoyment factor as well because it it was fun working out whether you thought you'd seen a good one or whether it had won a bad one or whatever, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I used, I used to love trying to work out, like, in terms of what progression it had got from that, from, you know, yeah. and, like, he just, it, it, it basically gave trainers an angle to, to leave them sort of 90% winner made nicely because you got a nice tool and possibly get like 78 or 80 when you probably knew you were 90 plus. And it kind of, kind of just, just yeah, it kind of just added spice to it. Uh, no one wants to see six to one the field handicaps like Hong Kong. You know, if you watch Hong Kong racing, everything's like five to one the field. 
and everything's just like handicapped within a pound of the lives. And and it's just no one wants to see that because there's no edge. Every now and again, you need an edge. I mean, even a grader on a dog card will put on a, a stick-on favourite for the punters, you know, a six-to-four chance, a teaser, if you like. Uh, do we play at six to four? Do we not? And I think you, no one wants to bet it, betting turnover is not good when it's six to one the field races. In fact, it's not because punters go, well, this is a minefield. Special yeah, horses were great, weren't they? Because yeah, invariably won maidens first time out, and then they were into handicaps, and you you were forced to take a view, you know, because they're in some nice handicaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chris, any thoughts on uh, on that? No, not not at all. Other than to say, I, I agree. I mean, there was much more intrigue when you could uh, get one in a handicap after one run. So it's a little bit more anodyne now, isn't it? But uh, yeah. yeah, no, it was a much better time. Yep. Uh, good question. Um, and one final question before we move on to John's belter. Um, uh, uh, one to follow. It was from Andrew Woodman, councillor Andrew Woodman, Tory councillor. John hates him. Disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> Tory councillor. Can't have him. Um, and he said... Having watched yet another insipid opening show, if you could re- recreate your ideal morning line program from past and present, what presenter and guests to go alongside Big Mac? John. Well, I was never a particularly massive fan of Big Mac, to be honest. No, but he did, he, he did, he did, he did. He the better thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, he, he, he did ginger things up a bit in that regard. Um, I much preferred Big Mac circa 1983 to Big Mac circa 10 years ago. Agreed. He was a, became a parody of himself in the last yeah. 10 years. Yeah. I, total joker. I, I didn't, didn't rate him at all in the last sort of few years. He, he was a good actor. He went on too long. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was the thing for me, you know. I mean, there were so many contradictions. I mean... Poor Big Mac, you're pouring scorn on a dead Yeah, I mean, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he, he made a great, great player wanting to abolish the whip, for example. Now, people are perfectly entitled to want the whip done away with, but for somebody who was a rabid supporter of hair coursing, yeah. to say we won't have horses beaten in the name of sport and then we'll happily trot along to the Waterloo Cup to see hairs ripped to pieces. Yes. The hypocrisy was beyond belief. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, all this kind of Hawaii, the lads, he's a Newcastle fan, that rule Britannia. and It's just nonsense. But but certainly, as you say, in the early 90s and in the 80s, he was very much a more serious journalist, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah and his coverage from the, the betting ring was terrific. Yeah. You, you okay. Know. So to speed you guys up, I want, I want, I want your guess. Who, 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 who makes the morning line? Frank like, was always good. Yeah. I enjoyed Frank because he was dry and funny. You know, I mean, uh, I, I was never that bothered about analysis to, right. to any great extent. I mean, Jim McGrath he was absolutely balmy rigid. Mm. Basically, just reading aloud from the time farm race cat. Yeah. Uh, you know, if anybody ever stood on the shoulders of giants, he's that prick. Um, <laughs> Bruce Scott. I like Bruff, yeah. Um, good scene setter, good, good, good man to have on side. Alistair Down, probably rough as fuck on a morning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the spoon, John. <laughs> um, you know, um, 
Yeah, I mean, people like that. Yeah. No, I, I concur, really. I think that's it. I think I think Woody, Woody was wanting to try and get, you know, to say that. I think he he loved the old old guard, and, and I, I was the same, you know. Uh, I, I, th- I think back in the day, we had proper racing journalists, which we don't really have now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's lacking. Um, everyone's on the gravy train and and, yeah. and the payload from the bookmakers, which is obviously sponsoring the racing channels, which you have not heard about affordability checks on any racing channel. Not one. Not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm disappointed, though, John. You never mentioned Leslie Graham. Any, any particular reason why you wouldn't want her as your, you know, lead presenter? <laughs> absolutely useless and I don't know <laughs> God, that's great yeah I forgot about that's it I, I was yeah, all thinking see? about Tarnia 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 yeah oh my god the bedding ring John literally you have now 60 seconds to, to finger blast your um, your super uh, follow for Jimmy Lindley this is good I think go on John it might take a little bit longer than 60 seconds, but I'll do my best. Oh. Uh, this is a horse trained by the Fetus that I spotted in the second maiden at the Curry yesterday, and it's a horse called Sissoko. Now, we know a bit about him already. He was taken out of his intended debut because of uh, yielding ground. So they clearly think a bit about him. They don't want him pulled about or bottomed as a two-year-old. The dam, Love Excelling, was bred by Lordship Stud, but unfortunately wrecked herself on debut and went straight to the paddocks. She's thrown Dan Excelling, uh, rated 119 in King Kong, and a couple of other listed class horses in some really durable hard running tapes as well. Physically, he's got the lot. He's well-balanced, strong through the body. He's got a bit of scope to thicken up over the winter. Moves lovely. Um, this one broke well on debut, um, so he's he raced, John. He, he, he switched on, he was savvy, bang the lids. Jockey spent the first three furlongs taking him back. He was last five furlongs out, but think on the, the favourite was trained by the brother, the baby Joseph. So they probably thought that was going to win anyway. Um, and that one led, and that's kept going to finish second. So they haven't, they haven't gone mad on the front end, and this lad's last five furlongs out. He's made his round easily for minimal encouragement from the saddle he's finished six of 15 for me he could nearly have won with a, a proper ad he nearly went through the boards on the pull up at the curry you know the, the race down there's boards up at the bottom of the course i would not it, this is where me and lee differ lee, lee thinks he'd, he'd be a good thing in an ordinary maiden i wouldn't even worry if this popped up in a listed race next time I would be having a very, very close look. I think this is a good horse. Fantastic, John. Absolutely love it. And I urge any listener to watch Shizuko yesterday. Um, this is a good horse. Um, and John is a good judge, as we know. So, I hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been a, it's been a cracking effort from, from me, Chris and John. I, we've enjoyed this as we always do. We're back on Friday with a tremendous Art Weekend extravaganza podcast. It's myself, John Lang, Andy Richmond and Quentin Franks. With big, we bring out the big bar stewards uh, for, the, uh, for the weekend's uh, racing, which you need the best input. We're giving it you the best four minds in the bar stewards. Except Fry, of course, who's still in the cellar. Um, yes. <laughs> she'll, she'll be back at some point. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. That's all from me, John, and Chris. Say bye bye, folks. Thank bye you. Bye bye.
Bye for now.